0: What a, what a great song that last one is, um, just full of gospel truth, right? How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Uh, make no mistake about it, that, that is the gospel. Uh, the gospel is not that you're good and smart and lovely, uh, the gospel is that you're a wretch and poor and blind and miserable and naked, and yet God loves you so much that he sent his son, his only son. To make a wretch his treasure. That's good, right? And the song says, It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Whoa. It was my sin. Not his. Mine. Until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. And I know that it is finished. That's good stuff, right? It's good. It's good. Why should I gain from his reward? I can't give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. And I hope when you sing that, you don't just sing through a song because we know the words. So the words are on the screen. I hope you sing through that song because you know the truth. And that truth has changed your life. That's, a, that's the gospel. That's a gospel song. Right? It's not southern gospel, but it's gospel. And that's what we sing about, right? That's what we sing about, the gospel of Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose again. It's the best news. And it's worth singing about. Do you have your Bibles this morning? Joshua chapter 13 is where you need to go. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, grab one out of the pew and, uh, and follow along with us. We're going to see a lot of interesting stuff in the text this week. Last week, we saw a recap of the first section of Joshua. We call it Conquer. Maybe you've noticed on the bulletins um, that the title of this series uh, of, of messages in Joshua has been Conquer and Divide. And that was a little bit of a play on words. We thought it was pretty clever. No one said a word about it since then, um, because usually it's divide and conquer. But that's not the way Joshua goes. He conquers the land, and then he divides it up. And so last week we saw this recap in chapter 12 of all of the conquering phase of Joshua. We saw all of this work that Yahweh did on behalf of his people, how he gave them land and how he fought for them and how he gave them these great victories. And we saw in chapter 13 very detailed recollection of what had happened about the kings that were defeated and the landmarks that were were given to the children of Israel. And I told you that that should spur in us a very detailed thanksgiving to God. That our prayer life should not consist of, oh God, thank you today for the many blessings you've given me. But rather we should take time and list those blessings that he has given. List out the work that he has done in our lives and be very detailed and specific in our thanksgiving. We also talked a little bit last week about the unity of God's people. And that seems to be a theme that we just can't escape. Uh, whether we're in Sunday school or worship or uh, private Bible study and reading, it's 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 just a theme that you cannot escape. If you read the Bible, no matter where you read the Bible, or where at in the Bible you read you will see the importance of the unity of God's people. He has wanted us to be together. He desires us to be, to be together. He says, I will be your God, and you, collectively, will be my people. We can't just be his people, all scattered out, living individual lives, but he has always intended for us to live together, to be together. He made a nation for himself first, and now he has built a people for himself and a church for himself. We are to be together and to dwell together in unity. We saw last week, particularly, these two-and-a-half tribes of Israel, who would receive their inheritance on the other side of the Jordan. They would be on the east side of the Jordan, apart from what we call the promised land. They got their inheritance on that side, and it would have been really easy for them to become separated from the rest of god's people to be viewed as kind of second-class citizens oh yeah we know you guys you live over there but we're here in the real promised land and god intentionally in his word is constantly bringing them back together constantly reminding the uh nine and a half tribes that live in the west side of the of the jordan that those folks are our folks as well and we need to do that all the time it's easy for folks to feel isolated even within the church It's easy for folks to feel like they're second class citizens, and we need to be constantly bringing everyone together, bringing folks together, and dwelling together in unity. I think we did a little bit of that this morning at breakfast, right? Pancakes Pancakes are pancakes. It doesn't matter who you are, right? And they're good. Good pancakes. We didn't have any chocolate chip ones, though. I was promised some chocolate chip pancakes. Yes, Laura, about chocolate chip pancakes. She makes some good chocolate chip pancakes. We also talked last week about how God's always faithful to his promises. He had made a promise to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore, and I'm going to give you this land. And now, in chapter 12, he's given it to them. He's delivered on his promise. And he's made promises to us, and he will deliver on those promises. He says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. And he keeps those promises, and that should encourage us. This week, we're going to shift gears from the conquering part, which is all full of action and chariots and horses and swords and hailstones. Hailstones coming down from the sky and destroying the enemies. It was action-packed, right, to chapter 12, and I'm telling you, it slows down dramatically at at chapter 13. In fact, one commentator said this about it. He said, probably even the most stout-hearted reader of Joshua begins to crumble and nod as he enters chapters 13 to 21 crumble and nod, slows down a lot. And so I want to, I'm telling you that not so that you say, well, I'll come back in 12 months when we're done with this. And the action picks back up. I say that to warn you ahead of time. It is going to get very tedious. It's going to get very detailed. In fact, the text today is going to be really difficult even just to read because it's name after name of place and king and land, and it is so difficult to read, and it's so very detailed. But here's what I want to encourage you with. God has given it to us for a reason. He's given it to us for a reason. That should have got an amen here. Of all the places in the world, that should have got an amen He has given us this passage for a reason. Uh, You don't believe it. You don't believe it. You would have said it the first time if you believed it. I'll prove it. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but if you can get there quickly, do. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching... For reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All Scripture, right? All of it. Not all easy Scripture. Not all action-packed Scripture. Not all friendly, nice, warm, and sweet Scripture. All Scripture. Joshua chapter 13, Scripture? Yeah. That means it's profitable. That means it's profitable to us. It will train us. It will equip us. It will rebuke us. It will reprove us. We need it. And so I'm telling you, it's going to get tedious, but you stick with it, and God will teach us some amazing things. In fact, there are a couple of huge lessons in the text today uh, as we read it. Uh, Joshua chapter 13. We'll study the whole passage today. If you're following along and you have a pencil in your hand, I would encourage you to circle or underline every time the word inheritance shows up. I've done this this week as I've studied, and it's all over this chapter. Uh, A dozen times at least it's mentioned in this chapter. That, That should stand out to you. It says in chapter 13, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years when the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years. And very much of the land remains to be possessed. This is the land that remains. All of the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites... From Shihor, which is east of Egypt, even as far as the border of Ekron to the north, it is counted as Canaanite. The five lords of the Philistines, the Gazite, the Ashdodite, the Ashkelonite, the Gigite, the Ekronite, the Abite, to the south... All the land of the Canaanite and the Mira that belongs to the Sidonians, as far as Aphek to the border of the Amorite, and the land of the Gebalite, and all Lebanon toward the east, from Baal God below Mount Hermon, as far as Leba, Hamath. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon, as far as Mishrafoth, Mayim, and all the Sidonians. Listen to this. I will drive them out from before the sons of Israel. Only, allot it to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, apportion this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Laura, are you listening to all these names? Okay. There might be a good one in there. With the other half-tribe, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan to the east, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave to them from Aror... Which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, with the with the city which is in the middle of the valley, and all the plain of Medeba, as far as Dibon, and all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the sons of Ammon, and Gilead, and the territory of the Geshurites and the Maacathites. You need to pay attention to those two guys, Gesher and Maacath, and all Mount Hermon and all Bashan, as far as Seelica. All the kingdom of Og and Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth in Edri, he alone was left a remnant of the Rephaim. For Moses struck them and dispossessed them. But, this is huge, but the sons of Israel did not dispossess the Gesherites or the Maccathites, for Geshur and Maccath live among Israel to this day. Only the tribe of Levi he did not give an inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel, are their inheritance as he spoke to them. Verse 15 Moses gave an inheritance to the tribe of the sons of Reuben according to their families. Their territory was from Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, with the city which is in the middle of the valley, and all the plain of Madeba. Heshbon and all its cities which are in the plain, Dibon, and Bamoth Baal, and Beth Baal Maon, and Jahaz, and Kedemoth, and Mephath, and Kiriathim, and Sibma, and Zereth Shahar on the hill of the valley, and Beth Peor in the slopes of Pisgah, and Beth Jeshimoth. Even all the cities of the plain and all the kingdoms of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, whom Moses struck with the chiefs of Midian, Evi, Rechim, and Zur, and Hur, and Reba, the princes of Sihon who lived in the land. The sons of Israel also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, the diviner, with a sword among the rest of their slain. The border of the sons of Reuben was the Jordan. This was the inheritance of the sons of Reuben according to their families, the cities, and their villages. Moses also gave an inheritance to the tribe of Gad, the sons of Gad, according to their families. Their territory was Jazer and the cities of Gilead and the land of the sons of Ammon, as far as Aror, which is before Rabbah, Rabbah and from Heshbon, as far as Ramoth Mizpah and Betonim, and as far as Mahanaim, as far as the border of Debir, and in the valley Beth-Haram and Beth-Nimrah and Succoth and Zaphon the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of Heshbon, the Jordan... With the Jordan as the border, as far as the lower end of the sea of Chinneroth, beyond the Jordan to the east. This is the inheritance of the sons of Gad, according to their families, the cities, and their villages. Stand up. That's, uh, that's me. Stand up. We're finished strong, right? Moses also gave an inheritance to the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was for the half-tribe of the sons of Manasseh, according to their families. Their territory was from Manaheim... All Bashan, the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, all the towns of Jire, which is in Bashan, 60 cities, also half of Gilead, with Ashtaroth and Edri, the cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan, were of the sons of Mekir, the son of Manasseh, for half the sons of Mekir according to their families. These are the territories which Moses apportioned for an inheritance in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan at Jericho, to the east." But to the tribe of Levi, Moses did not give an inheritance. The Lord, listen to this, the Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance as he had promised to them. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for your word. And God, I pray that we, that we appreciate it and cherish it and love it. And God, I pray that you will humble us or humiliate us when we think part is more important than the other. Convict us when we are so arrogant to think we don't need every word and every letter that you have breathed for us. God, I pray that you teach us today by your Holy Spirit, that you speak to our hearts and that our lives are changed and that you receive glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Good work, guys. Wasn't so hard after all, was it? Joshua 13. There are four things that I want you to see in the text today. And the first one has to do with the promise. So if you're taking notes, today would be an easy day to do an outline. Usually we go verse by verse, and you you would have pages and pages of notes. Today's outline day. Roman numeral one number one is a promise. And the promise is this: that God has given, is giving. And will give the land to his people. It gets a little confusing what's going on here in chapter 13 because at one point God says to Joshua, There's still a whole lot of land to possess. There's still a whole lot of land to possess. But in chapter 12 and in chapter 11, God says, They took the whole land. Joshua took the whole land. The whole land is his that God has delivered on his promise. And what I want you to see here is is a little bit of a parallel with the gospel. That the way the promised land goes is that from this perspective, God has already given the land to his people, right? He's already given them them majority control of the land. Like if if someone was going to come in and try to capture the United States and take control of the United States, and they were able to take Washington, D.C., and New York City, and Chicago, and L.A., and Dallas, we would say they have conquered the United States, right? If the opposing army had come in and conquered all of those cities, we would say we have been conquered. The land belongs to them now. Even though there may be holdouts in places like Harrisburg and Carrier Mills, they're really insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Um, And that's what we see going on here moving forward. Look at it in the text. It says, God says to Joshua in verse 1, you're old and advanced in years, I'll talk about that in a second, and it says, and very much of the land remains to be possessed. There's still a process that's going to go on, and it's still a process that God is going to do through his people. So God has given the land, He is giving the land, and he will give the land to Israel. And our salvation is very much the same way. Our salvation works in very much the same uh, vocabulary, that if you are a believer in Christ, if you have been reconciled to the Father by grace through faith in the Son, if you are a Christian, then you have already been saved, right? We would talk about it that way. Are you saved? I've been saved. I got saved. And we would speak of it in the past tense. But if we're honest with ourselves, we would also have to speak of it in the present tense, right? That I am being saved. I am in this process of sorts of being saved. It's called sanctification. My, my salvation is working out. We talked about that in Philippians, adults, just a few weeks ago, that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So we have been saved We are being saved, and we will be saved, right? That we still have something to look forward to. We look ahead to the culmination of our salvation, which is called glorification, all right? So in the same way Israel is thinking of the promised land, we believers think of salvation. And that's a good parallel to draw. That's a perfectly fine parallel to draw in Scripture because they are looking at that promised land as their inheritance. That's the word that's used over and over and over again, their inheritance. Well, what's our inheritance? Salvation, right? Salvation from the Lord is our inheritance. So we have, have received it, we are receiving it, and we will receive it. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay, so that's the promise that God has given to his people. That he has given and is giving and will give the land to them. And what you need to see is that that promise is totally contingent upon God's work and nothing else. Look what he says to Joshua. This is the most profound thing. In verse 1, it says, now, this is a comment from the narrator. Now, Joshua was old and advanced in years when the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years. What's the point of that? He's old. He's really old. You've got this. We're going to set up this quote like this. Joshua was really, really old. And God said to him, Joshua, you're really, really old. What's the point of that? Well, the point is that Joshua's old. And what happens when a commander of an army gets old? He can't do all that he used to do, right? He's not going to be able to go in and out and here and there with his troops. He's old. And we would think from a human perspective that that's a tragedy. We're losing Joshua. Joshua's not going to be the guy who's going to lead the troops into battle anymore. Oh, what are we going to do? It's going to be fine, right? It's going to be fine because Joshua's not been the one that's making this happen anyway, has he? He's just been a faithful servant of God, and he's going to die. He's going to get old, and he's going to die, and somebody else is going to come along and lead God's people, right? That's the way it's worked from the beginning, has it not? Moses was great, wasn't he? Moses was a great leader of God's people, but what happened to him? He got old, and he died, and he went away, and someone else had to come and lead. And what I want you to see is that this promise that God has made to his people does not hang on Joshua, It doesn't hang on Joshua's work. It doesn't hang on the work of some man. It is Yahweh's work. And he's consistent. People are going to come and they're going to go. They're going to get old. They're going to die. They're going to move. New things are going to happen. And God's work will continue. And that should encourage us all. That should encourage every one of us. First Baptist Church has been here a long time, hasn't it? A long time. We've been worshiping in this room. Not that room. You guys are new, new folks over there. This room for right at 100 years. 100 years in this room. One guy do all that? Nope. 100 years from now, it's going to look a lot different. And I can promise you, I won't be the one preaching in 100 years. But God will still be growing his church, right? Christ said, I will grow my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is not a work. The promise that God has given to us, the work that he's doing among us, is not a work that's contingent upon any man. It's him. It's him that does it. And when we get our focus and our attention on the people who are leading, we go astray. We go astray. We've got to always look past Joshua to Yahweh. We've got to always look past Moses to Yahweh. We've got to always look past the people who are leading to Jesus Christ, right? We've got to do that all the time. The promise that God has made... Is not contingent upon a man. He says in verse 6, after he says, Joshua, you're old, you're really old. He says, I will drive them out. All of these inhabitants of the hill country, from Lebanon to Mishperoth, Maim, all the Sidonians, I will drive them out from before the sons of Israel. I'll do it. And hasn't that been the story from the beginning? God's driven them all out anyway, right? And then he says to Joshua, here's your job. I'll give you the land. You just divide it up. You just divide it up. You give some of this to Gad. You give some of it to Reuben. You give some of it to Levi. Nope, don't give any to Levi. I'll take care of Levi, right? He says, you give it to all of these tribes. That's your job. You just divide it up. I'm giving the land. The promise, the promise, and all of God's promises are contingent upon him. They swing on him, not on us. Number one is a promise. Number two is a warning. In the text, there is a warning. Look at it in verse 13. In verse 13, it says, but... That is always good news or bad news, isn't it? When you're tracking along in a story and someone says, but. This happens at my house all the time. How was your day today? Oh, it was great. It was great. We did this and we did this. But. Oh, great. (laughs) Oh, great. But. Changes everything. And here it changes. It says, but the sons of Israel did not dispossess the Geshurites or the Maccathites, for Geshur and Maccath live among Israel until this day. And it is really easy just to read right over that and say, oh, it's no big deal. No big deal. They didn't dispossess these two groups of people. And, that's and, 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 eh, no big deal. Because they did, you know, they, they were able to make them submit. They did conquer them. They did rule over them. And, and, and so maybe it's not a big deal that they didn't dispossess them from the land. What you need to understand is that those two guys are going to come back to haunt the children of Israel in a few years. It's not going to take long before they realize, whoa, we made a huge mistake here. We made a huge mistake in not pushing Geshur and Machath out of the land. Because Geshur and Machath, when they are allowed to fester among Israel, are eventually going to cause trouble. And if you have studied through Joshua with us and you've wondered, why? We talked about this the other day. Why is it so violent? Why do we have to kill everybody in the town? Why do do we have to spare not even the donkeys and the horses and stuff like that? Why? It's because that if some of the people are left there, they're going to fester amongst Israel and cause trouble. God said, move them all out. This is your land, and we don't want any trouble staying there. And Gesher and Makath are allowed allowed to stay there, and it's going to come back to haunt them. What you need to see is that the children of Israel are mostly... Obedient to what God has called them to do, but not completely obedient to what God has called them to do, and that partial obedience is going to come back and hurt them in the end. And I think the same thing is true for us. I think we have become pretty good about saying, oh yeah, I got most of it. I got most of this obedience to Christ stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Oh, sure, there are a few little details I'm not really worried about, and I'm just kind of letting them happen. And oh, oh, sure, I didn't push Gesher and Maccath completely out. Ah, I, I made them submit, but I didn't push them completely out. And, that, and that's no big deal because I'm not real concerned about the details. I got the big picture down. Now, I want you to hear that the details are very important, and that submission needs to be complete. It needs to be total submission, total obedience to Christ. There is a warning in this text here when it says the sons of Israel did not dispossess the Geshurites and the Maccathites. That may not seem like a big deal now, but it's going to be a huge deal later on. Number one is a promise. Number two is a warning. Number three is an encouragement. An encouragement. Did you get all of those names? Do you know who all those people were? All all those places. Could you find all of those places on a map? You couldn't find any of those places on a map. We can't even read those places, can we? No, that's difficult. But what you need to understand is if you were a Jewish person back in Joshua's day, you would have known the intimate details about every one of those places, especially if you had been fighting battles to occupy those places, right? If you were a Jewish person, a soldier who had been in the armies where all of these places were conquered, you would have known exactly what that was talking about, and it would have encouraged your soul to no end to hear about those victories over and over and over over again. You would have been so familiar, and it would have been such an encouragement. You see, all of these details that we get bored about, all of these names that we can barely pronounce, are reminders to God's people of His faithfulness in the past. It's like, it's like reminiscing on all the victories that he had given in detail. And God does a lot of that in Joshua. He's going to cause the people to remember what he had done in the past. Why, why would they want to remember what had gone on in the past? Why is it good for them to remember the victories God had given them in the past? Yeah, so that they can look to the future, so that they can be encouraged and emboldened as they live for the future. That they can say, God has given us this land. You remember when he beat the Anakites? What, what are their names? You, Joe's going to talk about them next week when Caleb, when Caleb and Joshua went as spies to the land 40 years before all of this. You remember they came a gr- against a group of people and they said, they're huge. They're huge and they make us look like grasshoppers. They're giants. Next week, Joe's going to talk to you about how Caleb, when he goes to uh, inherit the land, he says, I want the giant's land. He says, give me the giant's land and I'll wipe them out. I'll take care of them. And he does, right? I can't remember why we're talking about this. (laughs) Preview for next week. All about God's faithfulness, right? That's what it's about. It's about God's faithfulness, about His reminder of things that have happened in the past so that we can push on forward. Joe's preaching next week. If you didn't get that, at least that. It is good for us to remember... Because as he has proven faithful in the past, he will be faithful in the future. I don't know how many of you were here Wednesday night. Uh, Wednesday night was really cool. Brian led us in in worship for a little while, um, Wednesday night. And he prayed at the end, and it rocked my world. Because he talked exactly along these lines, only not from a, God, thank you for giving me this victory, thank you for giving me that victory, thank you for giving me this blessing or that blessing. He said, God, thank you for the grace that you have given us in the past. Thank you for the grace that taught our hearts to fear. Thank you for the grace that you have shown us to forgive us of our sins. Thank you for past grace is essentially what you said, right? But not so that we will dwell in just past grace. He said thank you also for future grace. Thank you for grace that comes in the future so that we can live today and tomorrow in light of the fact that grace is already ahead of us. That's good news, right? Good news that God's already ahead of us. Even better news that God's grace is already ahead of us. That should should rock your world. And that should encourage you to live with boldness today. You think about what he's done in the past. And you don't just dwell there. You recognize that God is, is establishing a pattern of faithfulness. A pattern of graciousness. A pattern of goodness. And that pattern isn't going to change today. We think it is though, right? We think, oh, it's over today. Oh, he's been faithful in the past, but man, I just got terrible news from the doctor, and it's over. No, it's not over. He's not changing. He doesn't change, does he? No, he doesn't change. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can trust that as he's been faithful in the past, he will be faithful in the future, and we can trust him. We can move forward in future grace and move with confidence because of his grace that extends to the future. What you need to see in all of these details of the text is that God is encouraging his people. With reminiscing in the past, he's encouraging them for the future. Number four. Number one was a promise. Number two was a warning. Number three was an encouragement. And number four is just talk about an inheritance. An inheritance. I was thinking about this the other day, and and I want to tell you a story. I got When I I graduated from college, a lot of my friends got cars when they graduated from college. Uh, Some of them got trips to Europe and things like that. I got a shotgun. And it's an awesome shotgun. I want want to tell you about this shotgun. At the time, it was top of the line, good as they get. Benelli Super Black Eagle. It is a beast, and I love it. I love it, and I cherish it, and I use it, and it's muddy, and it's nasty, and it's awesome. And I can't wait. I can't wait for the day that I get to hand it to my boy Isaac and say, Isaac, this is yours. This is yours. And I can't wait for the day when Isaac goes out into a duck blind with his buddies, and they all say, why? Why are you using that gun? Why are you using that gun? Don't you know that there's Super Black Eagle 4 now? There's Super Black Eagle 2 now. This gun is already obsolete. And by the time Isaac is old enough to handle it, it'll be even more obsolete. And I hope his buddies will say, why do you use that old nasty thing? And I hope Isaac will say, because my dad gave it to me. Does it make sense to you? That what we need to see when we talk about all this inheritance is that the point of an inheritance is the connection with the person who gives it to you, right? Inheritance implies relationship. Inheritance implies relationship. Maybe it's not a family relationship. I know some people that have inherited things from people they barely know, but they know them. They had some kind of connection at some point. Inheritance implies relationship. And what you need to see is that the inheritance is not all about whatever the thing is. The inheritance that Israel is going to receive is not all about land. It's about Yahweh who is giving them the land. Are you tracking with me on this? That they need to be able to look beyond the gift to the giver. In fact, one one commentator said this uh, about this thing. It says, healthy, grateful faith. Sees beyond the inheritance to the one who granted it and is careful never to prize Yahweh's gifts more than Yahweh himself. All right. So for 11 tribes, this is difficult. For 11 tribes, Yahweh has given them land and he has given them the land as their inheritance. And they have the challenge of looking past the land to see that Yahweh is their true inheritance. But for one tribe, he made this very easy. For the Levites, he didn't give them a land. He simply gave them himself. Look what it says in verse 32. It says, These are the territories which Moses appointed for an inheritance in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan, at Jericho to the east. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses did not give an inheritance. The Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance. He has promised to them. I think that's where we need to get as Christians. We need to recognize that the inheritance we receive is not just eternal life in heaven. I think we can get caught up in that. If, if the inheritance the Israelites received was just the promised land, we can get easily distracted by saying that the inheritance we receive is eternal life in heaven. Streets of gold, gates of pearl, all of that stuff. But what we need to do is see that the the true value of the gift is not the gift itself, but it's the giver. In other words, we don't just get eternal life in heaven, we get Christ. We get Him. He is our inheritance. A relationship with Him is the inheritance. A relationship with Him is what matters. We get Him. Would you take heaven if He wasn't there? Would you take Him if there weren't streets of gold? Yes! (laughs) Yes! In fact, we talked about this the other day. We talked about how the streets of gold are... are The the point is that you put the gold on the street. You walk on it. Put it on the street. You walk on it. It's got no value. What is the value? It's Him. It's Him. He's all we've got. He's all we need. He's all we should seek. We are easily distracted by the inheritance He gives, and so much so that sometimes we miss that He's the one who's giving it to us. The point of the inheritance is Him. Just like Isaac could get all excited about this shotgun and say, Oh, look at this shotgun. Isn't it awesome? Isn't it awesome? If he talks about that shotgun that way, I'm going to be mad. He needs to talk about me. This reminds me of my dad. I remember times in the duck blind with my dad. This thing is is nothing. It's my dad that makes this special. And that's the way we've got to be, church. It's Christ. It's all Christ. Get excited about Streets of Gold, but get even more excited about Christ. He's our inheritance. He's our reward. It's not about the stuff that he gives. He's not a vending machine. He's our Father. He's our friend. He loves us. Four applications, and then we're done. Number one, God's work does not stop with the removal of his servants. He has made a promise, and he will accomplish his promise. And he will use a variety of people to do that. Don't get caught up on the Moseses and the Joshuas, the pastors and the Sunday school teachers. Don't get hung up on them. Get hung up on Christ. Number two, beware of partial obedience. We tend to pat ourselves on the back when we say, oh, I'm I'm doing mostly good. (laughs) Way to go, Chris. You did mostly good today. That's not good. Beware of partial obedience. It will hurt you in the end. Number three, remember the past for the sake of the future. It's good to reminisce about what God has done. It should give us confidence to move forward. It's good to remember the grace we've already received because I know I'm going to need a lot more grace tomorrow. And He's already there. Grace is already there. He beat me to it. And the last thing is this application of inheritance. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Wow, that can't be a coincidence. Twelve times the word inheritance is used in this passage. Our inheritance is. Christ. He is our reward. He is what we should seek. Don't be distracted by anything less. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your work and your faithfulness to carry that work out. Pray that we will always look to you as our head, as our leader, as our provider. Forgive us when we are enamored by people. Teach us only to trust you. And God, I thank you for the inheritance that you give to us, which is not a land, it's not a place, it is a relationship with you. It is Christ. God, we're... Teach us that that's all all we have. He is all we have. He is all we need. It's all Christ. Forgive us when we settle for this stuff and miss you as the giver of it all. God, I pray that you help us today to respond rightly, to work your word into our hearts for profit so that we will be trained and equipped, ready for every good work that we will be rebuked and reproved for your glory. God, help us as we respond in obedience. In Christ's name, amen.